Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom Podcast. And today I really have a special guest, Patrick Rogers. Um, he's a serial entrepreneur and investor. Now he's mentor, he's personally coach hundreds of CEOs, organizations about M&A. So today's talk is going to be all about acquisitions, merger, getting a walkthrough through the process and all of the pitfalls to avoid. So I'm really happy to welcome Patrick to the show and um, bring him on. So Patrick, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me, Chris. It's great to be here. Um, we had connected through Podmatch and tell us about you know your background, your story, and we'll get started. Yeah, you bet. So um started out, uh, I'm actually a recovering nuclear engineer. So I was an officer in the Navy and um, I got out and got into sales and engineering um, for boiler chemicals for large industrial complexes. Did that for 15 years, rose up the ranks and realized that corporate America is not going to make me rich. So I got mm-hmm. became an entrepreneur. I got into property management and that's where I kind of cut my teeth on, on entrepreneur. Uh, basically got to a point where I was growing the company so fast that other people in the organ in this nationwide property management organization were like, Hey, you know, how are you doing that? And that's what got me into coaching and consulting. And I had already done an acquisition. So that's led me to where I am today with mergers and acquisitions. So now what I do is I help uh, business owners and CEOs double their business every year through acquisitions, right? So in inorganic growth is, as we know, uh, very different than organic growth. It's organic growth, maybe 15, 20% a year. In organic growth, you can you know literally double every year. So that's what I focus on now. Interesting. And I found your comment about uh, corporate America is not going to get you rich because most people, they think, oh, I can become the CEO of this company or I can work for this company. Uh, dispel some of that myth or the thinking behind that um, that idea. Yeah, I mean, it's possible, <laughs> right? You can definitely rise the ranks and become a CEO and and get some equity, but, or you could, um, you know, do, do it on your own, become a business owner and buy literally a new business every year and, and literally double every year. Like that's, that's what we focus on is let's say you're a $2 million company now. Well, you're going to be able to, on all likelihood, if you're doing a good job of saving up some assets and, and preserving your, your company assets and you have a good balance sheet, you'll be able to purchase a company for 2 million this year. So now you have on, on the books, a company for 4 million. Again, you do the right things. You buy it correctly. It's got good cash flow. You're saving up a little bit. Next year, you buy a four million dollar company. Now you you went from two million to eight million in two years. 
This is this is what happens. And then the next year we buy an eight million dollar company. Now you've gone from two million to sixteen million in three years. This is what we're doing. Yeah. <clears throat> so it sounds like you know scaling and um, using other people's time and talent is um, you know a lot of listeners are interested in you know what you just said and so kind of walk them through the acquisition process kind of you know benchmarks to look for um all of that yeah chris so um you know it's an interesting time first of all about why why is acquisitions right now such a special time and and why now even versus like eight years ago or 10 years ago well there's a couple things that are happening on on before i actually dive into the, the process if it's okay and, and that's that baby boomers right now are retiring in droves. We're, we're in the middle of the biggest transfer of wealth that history has ever seen. $10 trillion is, is exiting the baby boomers and, and being passed down to whichever generation, generation X, Y, millennials, whoever's going to buy the company. And we're smack dab in the middle of that. So we've got about five years left of this, uh, of this transfer of wealth. But what's happening is these baby boomers, they're because there's so many people that are exiting the market, it, it's pretty much a buyer's market. So somebody puts a business up for sale, right? And they they've what happens is is they put it up for sale with a broker typically. And then you know, there's some really good brokers and there's some that are more like realtors and they want to get the listing. So what do they do when they get a listing? They give you an overinflated value in that company. So this is happening all the time. They put it up for sale. And uh, any idea, any, I'll ask to, to pose a guest, if you would, what percentage of businesses do you think that are actually put on the market actually sell? I would say, I don't know, maybe less than 10%. That's my guess. Yeah, really good guess. It's, it's, it's like 16 or 18% right now. It was 20 and it's, and it's dropped even more. So they're putting these things on the market and they're not selling. So what happens if you're a retiree, like you, your mind is on retirement. If you're trying to sell your business, so what ends up happening is they put it up for sale, they get a couple hits, people look at it, but nobody buys it because it's overpriced. And then the owner just stops getting, he's, you know, they're, they're, he or she's motivation just starts dwindling, right? And it starts dwindling more. And then they're putting less energy in the business. And then so the business starts drinking, it, not drinking, shrinking, uh, things start falling apart. And then the value keeps going down and down. And what ends up happening is that business gets sold to a competitor for pennies on the dollar or equipment gets sold or fire sale, or they just shut it down. And so there's a, there's a very distinct advantage right now, an opportunity to get to these owners before they put it on the market and buy it for a fair price for you and a fair price for them. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And um, how do you know which, because, um, uh, you know, you hear all about on the news, um, you know, for example, Amazon uh, or Google or, you know, these Coinbase, they, how did they know, how do you know which ones to M&A, which ones to buy, um, yeah. you know, kind of rough, roughly? Well, what we do is, is like when we work with a company, first of all, the, the first thing we want to do is identify what is our overall strategy, right? You can just buy all different kinds of companies, but sometimes, many times, if we do like a roll-up, and this kind of goes into the strategy, what, what is your strategy? If you do something called a, a roll-up strategy, that is that is also called, it's basically the same thing as multiple arbitrage. So what you're doing is, let's say you own an HVAC company, okay? And I'm actually involved in an HVAC roll-up with one of my clients. I'm part owner in it. Well, we're partners now. But what you do is, let's say you buy this HVAC company and you pay $5 million for it, and it has $1 million of EBITDA, and that's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. So that's basically the net cash flow, right? So you pay $5 million for this company, okay? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. so, so now let's say you buy 10 of these, 10, 10 of these companies 
at five million each, one million dollars of EBITDA. So that's a multiple of five times the EBITDA, and that's how you find the value of a company. So the EBITDA, a million dollars times, in this case, five, which is actually pretty high for that that side of a company, to get the price. Um, when you put them all under one roof and it's all one company, that multiple goes up. So this is called multiple arbitrage. So if I bought 10 of those companies, put them under one roof, I paid 50 million for them, but the true value that I'll be able to sell them for because they're all under one name or whatever, selling them to like a private equity company, you're probably going to get 80, 90 million for them, just creating creating millions out of out of thin air. This is multiple arbitrage, and this is why acquisitions is absolutely something if you have not looked at and you're a business owner with at least a $2 million business, you should be looking at absolutely. And so why aren't more CEOs focusing on acquisitions um, You know that you're seeing? Yeah, yeah a good question, Chris. The, the reason is, is because we get so focused, we get so tunnel fo- focused and visioned on our, on our day-to-day business. We are, you know, we're, we're, and we're ego-driven. I mean, I, I mean, I was a CEO. We're ego-driven. This is my company. I'm focusing on this. I'm going to go 20% every year, and this is what I need to do. I need to get a new sales manager. I need to get um, a, a new person on, on on human resources. I need to train up the market. I need to uh, outsource the marketing and oversee that. I need to get a new person to run the operations. And that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff to oversee, and you're spending a lot of time coaching and all this stuff. And And the proper way to do it as a CEO is to identify what your strengths are have somebody else do the other stuff so that you can focus on the growth of the company. That that's your job as CEO. And so so a lot of it has to do with just just not being able to have a company that runs itself without you so that you can focus on strategic partnership, high level growth, coaching of the management team, acquisitions, things like that. So um it's just we we get just get so stuck in our day to day and and it's a paradigm too. You know, that's all we know. Hey, I'm, I've got my business and I'm growing it. That's what's important to me. And and we just don't think about these other things because no one's really talked to me. Nobody's really told me about this other way to grow, to be honest with you. Mm. They've heard about it, but they're not really like, ah, it's maybe not for me, you know? You mentioned this, uh, you know, the emerge. What other acquisition strategies do you recommend? So it's it's multiple arbitrage. And um, so so there's a number of different acquisition acquisition strategies. One is horizontal. That's Horizontal means you're buying pretty much your competitors or you're buying the same companies as you going into a new geographic market, right? So that's horizontal. Then there's vertical, which is purchasing your supply chain up and down your value chain. So you're either you're purchasing your supply chain. So if I may, let's, let's say I'm a, a fan company, right? Well, I buy and I, I assemble and manufacture fans. Well, I buy a motor from a motor company. So an example of a vertical uh, integration would be purchasing that fan company. And why would we want to do that? Well, for a number of reasons. One is now I control that margin. So now I own that margin too. So I can be uh, control the price that this company is getting it. I can also control manufacturing. So in COVID, in 2020, 2021, we all know that we're all buying everything from China and uh, if you were if you were relying on a, on a on a motor that was coming over from China, well, it was sitting on a ship for two months for sixty days. So, you know, how do we do that? Do I want to reshore? Do I want to find somewhere else to do it? And so now you have control of that vertical market, and you can also control the the quality. 
And then the other, you know, really the two other strategies is one that's called complementary. And complementary is when you don't buy vertical or horizontal, your competitors, but instead you buy a company which is kind of synergistic, right? Uh, a company that maybe has the same decision makers. It's related, very similar, but you're not directly competing. So an example might be uh, an HVAC contractor. Let's say there's a commercial HVAC contractor out there and they're doing boiler installs for somebody. Well, they don't do the plumbing aspect of it. They farm that out. They, they call up a plumbing company and they say, hey, can you guys come in and do this, right? Well, instead of doing that, they then buy or acquire a plumbing company. And now every time they do an HVAC bid, well, guess what? The plumbing goes with it. And so now they make that much more money. If the plumbing was $50,000 on this job and the HVAC was 50,000, now they have a $100,000 deal. And then the same thing with the plumbing company. The plumbing company now, uh, for all their jobs, they can now bid the HVAC and they all have they all have unique relationships and unique customers. So when you buy a synergistic company, if you can make it work right, you end up getting logarithmic or hockey stick growth um, on or organic growth. So So not only do you have the inorganic growth, but both companies are going to get extra sales because you now are introducing new clients to each other and new jobs. Does that make mm. sense, Chris? Yeah, I love that yeah. idea where your synergy and your exponential and your basically it's not linear. What are some yeah. so when people are interested, they say they have a company or a practice, they want to put it out for sale or you know acquire. Where do most yeah. acquisitions go south or some of the pitfalls to? Yeah, really good question. This is. You know, th there's a couple things. One is, especially when you're doing a synergistic, it's different. Like if I'm buying a competitor or if I'm buying, if I'm an HVAC and I'm going to buy another HVAC company and, I, and I've got my system down, my processes, I can buy another one and just have it run like my company and just get it going, right? Well, if I buy a plumbing company, things are going to be different. So when you purchase a company, there's two main areas where it, it falls down. One is not ensuring that when you buy it, you have, a proper team of people that can keep the business going there and they're motivated to run it. So if you purchase a company and you don't have certain things in place like golden handcuffs or long-term employee management agreements or a CEO who's already ready to come in and run it, um, people can leave, you know, they can, they can take their business elsewhere and, and steal your clients. So going into it, you have to make sure that the people portion of it is, is rock solid. And part of what we're doing here, we're not just buying a company for you as the CEO to go and, and run it. Like that is not what you want to do. That is the absolute last thing you want to do. You want to purchase this company with a solid plan in place. Maybe there was a number two already, uh, a number two person there, the COO perhaps, who's going to get promoted to the CEO and run the company for you or, you know, whatever that is, that, that needs to be, or the owner that you're purchasing it from. Maybe you only buy 70% of it and we do some kind of an earn out thing and that owner stays there and runs it for a number of years until you sell it. But here's the biggest place where acquisitions fall down, Chris, and it's due diligence. We'll tell you all day long that their company is this amazing, wonderful paradise and this beautiful business that you should spend millions and millions of dollars for. And it might be. The truth is we have to do a phenomenal job of due diligence and uncover the areas that it's not, it's going to be a risk. And that's the whole purpose of due diligence is because is, the owners, you know, they'll say that, oh, you know, all you got to do is X, Y, Z, and it's going to grow like crazy. 
well, Mr. Owner, why didn't you have, why haven't you done that yet? Right. If you're saying all you got to do is do this great Facebook marketing campaign that you say is going to double the business next year. And that's why I should pay top dollar for your company. Why, why haven't you done it yet? You know, what's going, what's going on there? What if somebody doesn't buy the company or you do already have this in progress? And so in the due diligence phase, what you're doing is you're verifying a number of things. You're looking at the financials. You're making sure that their financials are what they say they are. And they hardly ever are, uh, hardly ever. Uh, you're making sure that their operations are what they say they are. You're making sure all their paperwork lines up. You're looking at all the legal. You're looking at all the insurance. You're looking at all the people. You're really diving into the people and making sure that when you buy this thing, how much risk are you personally taking on? And so when we do this, there's actually a 28-page uh, due diligence document. When we, uh, when we enter this phase, we send it over to them right away. And so they have a lot of homework to do. And so I just want to caution you, like if you're going to do the acquisitions on your own, which I highly don't re recommend, but if you do, like make sure, don't assume anything. This is why most acquisitions that fail do fail. It's either because the people run away or the, you know, the culture or B it's because you did a poor job of due diligence. Yeah. What a great way. Um, and I love that, uh, you know, always have a professional and experienced, especially in the area of risk um in today's climate yeah. um yeah. how do people contact you follow you check out your website reach out to you etc sure absolutely so um on linkedin you can reach out my uh tag is i think it's patrick b rogers and that's b as in vincent and then my website is actually www.com yeah and really uh interesting um yeah i love hearing about this space and uh you know all the different strategies all of Patrick's resources will be in the links and show notes. And with that, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. This is great. Appreciate it, man. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. you are listening if you liked it be sure to like comment share subscribe we're on everywhere spotify itunes google amazon audible and without much ado be sure to thank this show's sponsors and we'll see you next week